0: down to the last comic shop
1: in five four three two one hey hey it's now time for more of the last comic shop
2: where we open up the shop to newbies to help them find their way underneath the
3: comic book tent and where we keep the lights on for the oldies to help them uh,
1: find cool comics and whatnot We've got tons of cool comics, they're all over the place, and we've got another great one for you. I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson, and I'm joined by Jay Scott and Chad Smith, as always. And again, talking about cool comics, boy. We got one for you this week It is one that a lot of folks have been talking about in 2021 It garnered a lot of attention on all over the social medias uh, When it was released out of DC's Black Label It is the Other History of the DC Universe By Academy Award winner John Ridley And
3: Giuseppe Camicoli and Andrea Caccini and Jose Villarubia with
1: Stephen Wands on letters. It's creating kind of a little bit of a capstone for us. Over the last couple of weeks here on The Last Comic Shop, we have been hitting DC Comics heavy. In fact, we talked about this book just a couple weeks ago during like our DC month. And this was one that we didn't get to, but it was so good that we we had to bring it to all our fans. And it is crazy to think that unlike Our first season of Last Comic Shop, in which I think we had like what 13 DC books or something like that. It was definitely a lot less than either our Independence or our Marvel book. Yeah, Marvel and Indies both clocked
3: in around 19 books, DC was around 13, and a lot of those were movie related.
1: And and here in 2022, it's like been the reverse. Uh, for those people just listening since the beginning of the year, you're gonna think that that's all we talk about is DC. Six out of the last nine shows have been about DC comic books. We did have a DC month. <laughs> It is true, but that ended nearly a month ago. And then we had Rorschach, and now we've got uh, this book. And again, in like two weeks, we're going to be doing a Batman book because that Batman movie is going to be coming out. What I'm saying is we've been spending a lot more time on DC, and it has affected me. (laughs) As a Marvelite, I don't know what to do with myself. I think Mikey Wood is secretly smiling somewhere because I find myself actively seeking out DC books now for the first time in, oh god, I don't know, like 20 years no, no, I won't won't lie, there was a point in like the early 2000s, because I was picking up things like Long Halloween and Dark Victory, you know Batman stuff, but at the same time I didn't really go any further than that, I didn't pick up the, you know, the 52 I didn't pick up any of the Jeff Johns Flash or Green Lantern runs I didn't do any of that but now I find myself saying, what does DC got just around the corner? Because I want to see what that is, especially this Black Label stuff. That's crazy. Guys, what do you what? think? Like, how has this DC renaissance that we've been going through over the last couple of weeks affected you, J.A.? Well, I mean, as Chad has always said, DC
2: books work best when they're sort of like uh, not in the main DC Universe, and you're, you're being able to read, like, the Future State or something out of Black Label that kind of exists in its own little uh, Petri dish. So, yeah, I think, as with any any comic book, if you've got good writing, if you've got good art, and you're telling a good story, it's going to be an enjoyable experience. DC has interesting characters. I think they just bludgeon them to death in, in the main continuity. So if you get outside the main continuity... It's interesting. Maybe the reason why it's so interesting is because you're being able to see that character who's kind of been forced into this stereotypical mold in the main universe kind of grow outside their wings. I- I'm thinking of Wonder Woman Dead Earth as a perfect example of that, where everyone knows sort of, you know, the general Wonder Woman story and mythology and everything. But then getting to see her act that out without the constraints of all the other superheroes around or justice league or whatnot was really uh, satisfying and interesting. So I will continue to read DC stories too, I think, but there'll probably be elseworld type black label things that kind of exist on their own.
3: Right. The, the main uh, thing for me with DC right now are those prestige books and they are doing it so well. And it seems like they've got their hooks in on the top creators I mean, they've got both the Toms, the King and the Taylor, and they're not afraid to take risks as long as it's outside the main continuity. You're starting to see that pay off uh, with the titles that are out there. And I also think we're seeing an initiative, and this definitely holds true uh, with the book we're going to talk about today. But we're seeing more initiatives to diversify and bring things to the table outside of what you would traditionally see in the DC universe. And whereas I felt like Marvel books have handled the the diversity and inclusion, I think, a little bit more outright than DC for the majority of the time I've been reading comic books. But with recent initiatives where they are trying to bring in new readers, they are trying to expand into the teen market. They're trying to expand the comic buying audience. You're seeing these efforts and and they're paying fruit. It's it's exciting to see the shakeups, especially when you put good creators behind it. It's just fun to watch the stuff that's coming out of it.
1: Yeah. Well, I I, kind of feel like in some ways, like it's the 80s all over again. It was always kind of weird to me that, like, even back in, in the 80s, when we were growing up with comic books, DC would put out stuff like Dark Knight Returns or Watchmen, these kind of stories that were outside of the continuity almost in essence their maxi series of the time their black label titles of the time and marvel was never doing that marvel was like all right we're just going to keep on chugging along with our 616 and our main continuity and telling stories within this this grand scope not like you know some sort of captain america adventure that's like way outside the norm you know and, and everything like that." Or and sometimes they would but for the most part if they did nobody was paying attention to it not like they did over at dc when they did it at dc everyone's like wow they're doing that and that's actually the books we're going to gravitate towards. and so i feel like that's happening again here we're like i don't know as a result of dc just basically chucking all the uh continuity out of the window with future state and just being like yeah whatever just write good stories We'll 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 work it out all in the wash if that's now, you know, basically allowing our artists and writers to just kind of like say, OK, yeah, we're just everything's going to be prestige. Everything's going to be maxi series. Everything's going to be, you know, this book outside the norm. And, and Marvel's still chugging away at being like, yep, everything makes sense in our universe, even though really it doesn't. Maybe that's part of why I find myself gravitating more to DC, because it just seems like Marvel's still putting on this facade that the continuity matters. And and even there they it they, they does it. Like, gosh knows right. I went from one Hulk book in which he was an immortal guy with this green door to now he's like a robot. Vastness <laughs> between these two <laughs> ideas is crazy. Yeah, but it, even
3: with their, their media properties, Marvels, they're making their bones through cohesion. Even though they wink at it a lot, you know, they make their bones between that continuity and the everything's interconnected. Whereas I think DC and Warner Brothers, and I look at things like uh, Peacemaker, like there's no way Peacemaker exists in a shared universe. You can't have Peacemaker (laughs) hanging out with your Batman franchise. And Warner Brothers is just embracing that on both the media front and in the comic books. They're like, yeah, we'll do what we want. You know, consequences be darned. And uh, we'll see where it takes us because as it stands, they've been getting good stuff out of it. Yeah, just look at how many times they've
2: rebooted the Batman series. You've got the Schumacher Batman, and, and sort of the over-the-top camp stuff. You've got the Tim Burton Batman, which kind of melded into the Schumacher Batman. You've got the Nolan verse, and then you've got uh, the Ben Affleck DCEU Batman. And now you've got a new one, which, you know, I don't know where that one's going to fit. So, But DC doesn't That's... seem to care. They're like, no, we're just giving you Batman.
1: And they're bringing the old ones back too, and a whole other different thing. And Flash, who cares? <laughs> and maybe that'll be something that will come out of all of the fact that like nobody cares about continuity DCs. They'll finally make a decent Peacemaker series, you know, on the heels of uh, of this really great TV show. Or maybe they'll just continue having it as a TV show. I'm I'm fine with it either way. I just know that I'm looking out for more DC books and it's an itch needing to be scratched a lot of my books over the next couple months will probably still be dc books because there's a lot of good stuff like superman 78 i want to cover that on this show coming up soon but in any case we're going to be right back with after these commercial breaks we're going to be talking about this week's dc book the other history of the dc universe so stay tuned Speaking of peacemaker, you think John Cena can write a comic book
3: too, in addition to rapping and wrestling and acting and everything else he does? He's a tour de force! He
1: can do whatever he wants!
3: can we even grovel to the Chinese Communist Party.
2: <laughs> Cartoon Dumpster
0: Dive. I'm your host, Joel. And I'm your host, Andrew. Join us as we travel back in time to watch the garbage cartoons from your past. Will you remember them? Maybe. We've mistakenly watch every episode of these cartoons to remind you that, hey, some things belong in the past. Our pain is your entertainment. Thanks for tuning in. Hey
3: everyone. I'm NerdBomber.
0: And I'm Tectic. And we're two of the hosts of the Online Warriors podcast.
3: Our podcast started as a way for three best friends to keep in touch and discuss their nerdy hobbies like movies, gaming, tech, and more.
0: Since then, we've grown into a great community. Every Wednesday, we chat about the latest nerdy news before getting hands-on with our weekly nerdy adventures.
3: And don't forget our high-stakes trivia game. Come join the fun at OnlineWarriorsPodcast.com and every major podcast platform. And now, back to the show.
2: Okay, and we're back. It's time now for the Read Pile Review. We are, as Andrew said, reading The Other History of the DC Universe, a book that I had hoped that we would look at this year. It was on everybody's repile list. It's now on our repile list. We covered it earlier, but Chad, just give us a quick rundown of who did what on this book.
3: Okay. So, for the other history of the DC Universe, you had John Ridley, uh, who recently has been doing a lot of the stuff in the Bat Universe. He wrote the story. Giuseppe Camicoli, who I've discovered writing Spider Man, but I know he's done some Batman Europe uh, series, he did the layouts. Andrea Cucci does the finishes. Jose Villarubia was the colorist. And Steve Wands on letters. So Andrew, in your most 10 cent, 10
2: cent synopsis possible, what happened in the other history of the DC universe?
1: It's basically a story about how things have unfolded since, I don't know, the beginning of the Bronze Age at DC. It starts off with the character of Black Lightning who is one of the major African-American superheroes that DC has. And he kind of tells the story about like his experience and like how his viewpoint of like things that happened in not only the DC universe, but actually in real life, like in our history, uh, the civil rights movement and, and the things in, in the 70s with like Black Lightning being in the Olympics during everything that happened at Munich But from there, every issue kind of talks about another character who is the minority within the DC universe, whether that be Maul Duncan and uh, Bumblebee, uh, who were both members of the Teen Titans in the late seventies, early eighties. Issue three, you get Katana. So you get more of a Asian experience with uh, what's been going on with the, the events of the DC universe. Then you get Renee Montoya, who took over recently in the last like decade as the question. But it kind of talks about her experience as a cop in Gotham during all the stuff that's going on with uh, Batman and No Man's Land and Cataclysm and all this other stuff. And then it kind of comes full circle with uh, Thunder and Lightning, who are Black Lightning's children and their experience. And again, it's all kind of trapped up with this... this uh, talking about the minority experience in America. Like again, whether you're African-American, whether you're Asian-American, whether you're LGBTQ uh, and how everybody thinks about the Supermans and the Batmans and the Wonder Womans and even the Green Lanterns, the white Green Lanterns. But nobody talks about the other ones and how they've had to fight for things. And it's very similar to, again, our own society. So it's a very deep book. That's my 10 cents an option. All right, Chad,
2: why don't you (laughs) kick it off? What are your initial thoughts
3: on this? Okay, so as a group of primarily uh, white guys, it's going to be a challenge to not make fools of ourselves, I think, on this one. But no, this is the other history. For folks that have to deal with being the other, being the outsiders, and sometimes quite literally the outsiders, which is a team they really uh, simultaneously dive deep into and totally crap on (laughs) throughout the course of this story. But no, I honestly, if you look at the, the history of the DC universe, it has not been the most inclusive. It has not been the most reflective of society, even though when you go back, you can think of things like the green lantern, green arrow storyline, where they, they bring racism to the forefront as part of the story. Uh, that'll happen in the DC universe, but then you'll go back to, okay, we have Jon Stewart as a Green Lantern. Sometimes, mostly it's this Hal Jordan guy. <clears throat> or whenever they get into the story about the Titans and they're talking about Mal Duncan and Bumblebee. And they're like, yeah, rejoin the team and they got Cyborg. And so it's like they only had room for one black guy.
2: Right. There's a lot of tokenism, and they address it in the book as how they were very much, well, he was sort of the token black. I mean,
3: and they go at it head on. And this book is not afraid to take shots at the big superheroes, at the Batmans and the Supermans. And you can feel that anger from Black Lightning when he talks about how they never came to the, the rough parts of Metropolis. The yeah. superheroes are always protecting the, the nice, clean streets, but nobody came out to the slums. I got a very public enemy vibe for that
2: whole thing where Superman doesn't come to sums. you know, Elvis was a hero to most, but you don't mean shit to me.
3: Yeah, that's this whole book. And it's fun to see how people relate to Batman, too, because Black Lightning thinks about Batman, even though uh, he had joined up with him on The Outsiders where it's like, yeah, he's a manipulator, but he was manipulating me for the right reasons.
1: But See, I, I took it the completely different direction with every single time anybody talked about Batman, they would kind of sometimes chalk it up to like, yeah, Batman's really screwed up because, like, I don't know, he saw his parents get killed, so that would screw up anybody. But at the same time, I didn't feel like anybody, whether it was Renee Montoya, whether it was Katana, whether he was in Black Lightning, where he was basically saying, like, yeah, he actually legitimately terrified me because like, he just felt like he was there just to really hurt people. Like they all think he's like borderline psychotic, which I guess he is. Yeah. I mean, this book has its foot
3: in the real world and there are real world events and real world politics happening since this. There's so many historical aspects that happen along with the superhero stories. You also, as a result of that, look at these superheroes as real people. Let's talk
2: about that for a second, because I brought that up, and Andrew's brought that up uh, before the show. We were talking about sort of our, our initial thoughts. There were some things I did not know about, and I had to go, you know, search on Wikipedia and, and read up on. Like, I had no idea there was this serial killer in Atlanta in the late 70s, early 80s going around killing children. I, I Obviously, you know, I was just born, so that's probably why. But – there hasn't been a lot of media coverage of it. I, I know of Son of Sam. Son of Sam was around right. that time. but uh, And the
3: Zodiac Killer. Well, look at Watchmen last year. Whenever brought up the, the Tulsa Massacre. How many of us ever learned about the Tulsa Massacre in school growing up? Like, it just isn't a thing that's on the, the mainstream radar. And it's tucked into these other histories. These other versions that uh, people,
1: you know don't always get to see brought to the limelight. Right. You know, when you talk about other books that are similar to this, again, when I was reading this book, I felt like the same feeling I got when I first read Watchmen, right? It was kind of based in reality a little bit where there was kind of like somewhat realistic events. And then they were like intersplicing superhero stuff with, with Watchmen though, it was an alternate universe where you got to see how having superheroes in that universe actually would have affected certain events. Like, for example, the Vietnam War and the annexation of of, of Vietnam as a part of the United States, all because they have Dr. Manhattan. I think John Ridley sometimes with this kind of says like, hey, look at these historical events and look how like the DC heroes didn't pay any attention to them. These are heroes. They would have paid attention to something like they would not have just ignored all of this. And as a result of them at least even paying attention to one thing, whether Superman was involved with, I don't know, something with civil rights. I mean, I feel like Superman would have at some point that that would have changed the trajectory of the entire history. And so, therefore, some other events wouldn't have happened. You know what I mean? I'm I'm sorry, Privilege. Can you say that? Say that again? I was a little fuzzy on what you were saying.
3: I think what you're coming from is a very well-intentioned place. And you're saying... But if this was real, Superman would have done something. That's the whole point of this book, because Superman doesn't give a Superman wasn't there. Batman wasn't there. Batman was more interested in punching people in the face and dangling them from buildings than actually recuperating or helping a city get better. And if you look at superheroes with too much of a real-life lens, they're all psychopaths. They're all egomaniacs. And they're not a benefit or a boon to society. They're all just messed up people running around in their underpants, fighting and fucking and doing whatever else that is they're going to do. To see it spelled out in a book like this, like it's a harsh
1: spotlight to be shown. It's a lot to talk about on this particular show, and you know I'm going to say this point blank. At any point I I, I say something, it's coming because I'm a, I'm I'm a white guy and what do I know? Like I don't know nothing. But at the same time. I felt like this was kind of more of a meta commentary on the fact that like DC heroes were prominently written by white guys. So they, they didn't care about the minority experience at all. And so they didn't write any stories like that. They didn't write stories where Superman went to the slums and saved people. It was more of a meta commentary on like, hey, DC, why didn't you ever do this? And the people that grew up with your stories, this is the effect that we had on us. And, and unlike Batman in this story, who we, like, portrayed as a just a just a nasty guy, honestly, they they actually don't portray Superman as bad. They kind of say, like, look, he was the last member of his tribe. There's even this part where they talk about his relationship with Supergirl and how he wanted to protect her. And Supergirl's death in, in Crisis of Infinite Earths and how, like, right? how that would have affected somebody like that. So they, 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 they give... Superman even like kind of like a pass in this a little bit at times. I don't I don't think they do. I think they really? come out swinging. As soon as they introduce Superman,
3: the first thing they point out was how he shined literally shined. and they say how he was the first to go public. But there's a line in here that uh, he arrived in a form that was familiar and pleasing, wrapped in red, white, and blue. His passport was the state or was stamped the first day he showed his luminescent flesh. So the fact that Superman even though he's an alien even though he's an immigrant even though he's an other he gets a pass because he looks like a white guy yeah and then the 80s came and that's like perfect for superman ronald
2: reagan and superman two people made for each other and that's almost a direct callback to uh dark knight returns it's all you know superman stands up for what is right and just in america Especially that that first issue. I think, you know, leading with Black Lightning, who is just infused not just with electricity, but with righteous anger. It's like, you know, you're leading with your best shot. That's Muhammad Ali coming right at you, right out of the gate. That's the big gun. And I thought that the series did really well to sort of take that first punch, that first big hit with the Black Lightning story, and go right into something that was also still Black America, the Black experience in the superhero DC universe, but much, much less in-your-face. There was a lot more humor in the second story with Bumblebee, Mal, Mal Duncan and Bumblebee, and the way they had basically they were telling each other's story while they're telling their own story. Well, no, Mal likes to embellish this, but it wasn't like that. It was like this. And what I loved about the the, the Titans story, the T-Titans, is it was like, yeah, everyone was getting it on. It was like Studio 54.
3: Well, look at the, the character and the fact that they had him around without any powers as the team mascot. And, like, how demeaning is that? There's a as a black person reading this book you'd be like oh there's finally a black guy on the team what does he do uh we'll give him a horn yeah he like, got the the lamest power sets i
2: don't know. yeah you Let's think see, of the horn it, too that's very like horribly right. stereotypical
1: and there's other moments like for example when they point out that like finally the justice league comes calling on black lightning to offer him a, a membership and what do they do they like Dress up as like supervillains so that they can quote unquote test him, even though like he's been actually doing the superhero biz for several years. Like I don't know, maybe that resume speaks for itself. I mean, there were a lot of moments I got angry, but like that was one I was like, really? Like that's what you do? Yeah, no wonder he said, take your Justice League membership and shut. (laughs) His arc with John Stewart too, where like at. Jon Stewart's out there, yeah, he's the guy that's supposed to be first, you know, black superhero, and he's there and but yet he's only the part-time, you know, Green Lantern. That's everybody how everybody looks at him. And like later on in the book, he actually gets to meet him and he's like, the guy was under a a lot of pressure. He knew what pressure he was under. So, like, of course he wasn't perfect. Nobody would be. So like right. no, and that's another th- interesting part of this book
3: was how human it was in terms of You have characters with their petty jealousies Mm
1: -hmm. and,
3: you know, acting the way that normal people would react in a world with Superman and Green Lanterns. And, you know, and they talk about Jon Stewart and how he seemed like, you know, when he came to give his speech, he was hovering, feet never touched the ground. He was never on the streets with the normal people. And, you know, how the way that Jefferson perceived that versus whatever he talked to Green Lantern and got to know him. And it's like, oh, he was under this incredible pressure. And, you know, you feel bad for having dragged the guy earlier, but those petty human interactions and the way we, we snipe at each other, the way we make each other feel bad about ourselves, like all that is in here in a way that's very human. And, you know, you have characters like Renee Montoya, who definitely has her foibles. She's talking about, you know, Harvey Bullock and all those other characters from the, Batman, the animated series,
1: and then Gotham Central. Well, that was one of the questions that I did have, though, is that part of me, like, the Katana issue was pretty decent because I I actually really like that John Ridley talked about with basically the Judas contract from the perspective of Terra and how this person was Glee sex-trafficked by, you know, Deathstroke. And again, I think I called that, like, two years ago, On our former podcast, I was like, yeah, that's the way that I would view it, too, from a more modern take on what happened with that. I mean, she was, like, basically a minor. So, of course, she, like, turned on the Titans. It wasn't her fault. She was screwed up. So I thought that was interesting. But, like, some other parts, I don't know. J.A. had mentioned that they didn't really ring as powerfully as some of the stuff with Black Lightning and Maul Duncan, right? I thought the series was a little uneven
2: from story to story. There's some really powerful stories. Black Lightning, I think by far was the best. And then the Mal, Duncan, and Bumblebee one was good just for the interplay that he had between the two characters. Uh, It just felt real. I had trouble with the Katana one. I thought it wasn't as grounded. It didn't get at the sort of Asian American experience as much, I thought. And, And it's harder, I think, because Japanese immigrants or Korean immigrants or Chinese immigrants, Filipino immigrants, while they're all Asian or they have different experiences, you know, and, and they they've they immigrated to America at, at different times of, of the American history, uh, what was going on in the country. So as a Japanese immigrant post World War Two. Katana's experience in America is very different than, say, even somebody like George Takai, who, who did that the book about his experience living in Manzanar. It, it's hard to put your, your finger on why it didn't work. I just feel it didn't it didn't connect with me, at least as the reader, as much right. as those first two stories
3: did. No, I can agree with you there. It it felt like the pieces didn't interconnect as well as they did in the Black Lightning or the Mal and Bumblebee stories. Like they, they go through some of the historical moments, but they just didn't seem to resonate
1: with what was going on with Katana. I felt like actually the Katana issue resonated more with me. If you were talking about just being like a female superhero, because they were talking a lot about like how, yeah, there weren't actually a lot of those, you know, maybe other than wonder woman or a couple that, you know, she was definitely one and, and, and how she, she had lost children when she was first started and, and, and how, She later, when she was on The Outsiders, she took in Gabby as a surrogate child and how that kind of healed her a little bit. That resonated with me, like as a a father, as somebody that has children. And how other people within the DC universe looked up to Katana as kind of like a strong female role model for other uh, female superheroes. I think that later on in, in the Thunder book... You know, I think Thunder looked up to her as like, yeah, there weren't actually a lot of other females around. So when Katana came around, it was actually pretty cool. You know, that that's a different experience in itself, uh, you know, in terms of being the other.
2: And, and what did you think about them sort of retconning or going saying, you know, this sword isn't really stealing anyone's souls. I'm just killing people.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking to my sword. Why? Well, I thought I thought it fit. it her or made it more human. And um, that was the thing with all of these stories. John Ridley does such a good job of just grounding them in humanity that like yeah. y- it sometimes you forgot that they were actually superhero stories. No, and, and that's
3: were. it could only occur in a black label book. That's not an incontinuity thing, because otherwise, like these characters are broken forever. There was a lot of uh, within the book, but also you as the
2: reader, I think, you know, you know, the whole idea of walking in someone else's shoes. And understanding right. their perspective and, and their view on life, uh, have a better view of, of the world, I think. so.
3: Well, that's uh, very interesting because that brings us to book five, the Anissa Pierce, the Thunder and the Lightning story, uh, Black Lightning's Daughter, where this story, for me personally, the story itself, as a comic book, I didn't think it was as well done as the earlier issues. But at the same time, the things that it made me think about, the ideas that have got me to explore. I think this issue hit me harder than any of the other issues. Whenever you're dealing with Jefferson Pierce and how his daughter is gay, and the the way that that relationship is impacted, and she can never open up to him, and the way that from his perspective, you know he's well intentioned, but you see with the way that he's treating other people, like how that's perceived. it's one of those things where so often like perception is reality, no matter what your intention is, how other people receive or perceive your actions. That's, what's going to define those actions. And you see that with the way, like Jefferson thought he was doing the right thing all the time. But then you see the way that his daughter looks at him. You see the way that, that uh, young man that he was, you know, when he was a teacher that Dwight, you know how he felt about Jefferson's and how he treated him. And, you know, the subtle things the, the, where the perception is there and we all might be thinking we're doing the right thing when in reality, we're just being terrible to each other.
1: Yeah. Like, well, and I think that that issue f- five for me, too, was a little uh, bit harder to, to, to wrap my head around, although it had powerful stuff, because I think it was also I hate to say it. I'm o- I'm old. That was from a very young perspective. That was like the next generation. That was how younger people look at things and like I, i'm unfortunately not that anymore so like now i'm being schooled by those people mm-hmm. and rightfully so you know that's the way that jefferson pierce looks at things and unfortunately you know it takes his daughter and in a in and in a newer perspective and um yeah she's also the harshest on batman too i don't i don't want i don't want to keep on coming back to how harsh they are on batman because it's, he's not really even my favorite character but boy everybody has an axe to grind with him well i mean like, you, you, he comes on he's about like, it, you, it was yeah. the outsiders then batman comes in he's like no nah, it's batman and the outsiders really you know thunder's like i've been on the team the longest shouldn't i decide who the leader is and then what does he do he gets a bat girl to come kick me in the face like i was like oh my gosh yes through that lens that's awful like that's the like what the hell's going on here batman that does not portray you in a positive light at all. <laughs> and it's, again, to Chad's point, it's all per- about perception. Because if you were just reading the issues, you probably wouldn't have picked that up. But, yeah, that, that's yeah,
2: not a Batman's good Batman's a rich white guy who uh, uses his money so he can dress up and beat people up. But yeah. that is perception versus reality, or reality versus perception. One thing we can be clear is that we will have our perceptions of the reality of this book when we come back with our great
0: Hi, this is Stig from the Modern Escapism Podcast Do you need a getaway from the real world for a few hours? To find some time to just procrastinate and forget about everything else? If you do then the Modern Escapism Podcast can help you with just that Our goal from the start has been to distract listeners from the doldrums of real life and provide that getaway that so many of us need from time to time Each week, we discuss what media we've been consuming, from movies, games, TVs, books, music, and more. There's always something new brought to the table and hope that we can recommend something for you to enjoy. After that, we have a main topic of discussion, which we have a lot of fun with. We always encourage listener participation for these. We discuss all kinds of things, ranging from sequels, soundtracks, D&D, nostalgia, one-hit wonders, body art, trash TV, and more. The topics are limitless. So if you like chat about media and just general silliness, then why not join myself, Gadget, Oodles, Candy and Biggie each Thursday and subscribe to the Modern Escapism podcast. You'll find us on all podcast providers, Spotify and YouTube. Let us aid with your procrastination.
2: Okay, we're back. Uh, rating for our ratings. Uh, this is the part of the program where I give everybody a 1 out of 4 rating scale and then we... Assign value so that we can look on it in a year's time and and see where it fell in the grand scheme of everything we read. I struggled a little bit with coming up with a scale for this week uh, because it's the the book is you know very serious and intense uh, so it doesn't lend itself well to sort of a a cheeky or humorous scale but it is about uh, sort of the outsider perspective, the other perspective. So we're going to go one out of four outsiders. Yes. And good luck with a uh, sound
1: effect for that. Yeah, I was looking. I was trying to find, you know, what, that old 80s movie and see if there was some sort of sound effect from there that I could use. Uh, or you could but, go
3: wrestling quotes and have Kevin Nash and Scott Hall. <laughs> I think that's better.
1: Two, okay. three.
2: Yeah. yeah, I don't know. So, one out of four outsiders. Uh, Andrew, why don't you start off?
1: How would you rate this book? What did you think about it? All right. Well, from a cultural perspective, from its just overall importance to comic books, and like, again, I I talked about like how I I compared it to Watchmen earlier, and I think that's a fair assessment, because uh, there's very few comic books, I feel like, that actually really truly move the needle, and that people have to read. Like, I feel like people need to read this book because it is powerful and it is something that you have to experience for yourself. So from, from that perspective, it's hard for me not to give it a full four outside because again, we, we talk about comic books being, you know, how, how they're important, how we view them as important works of art. And this is definitely one of those. And so like, again, it's hard for me not to say that it's a four out of four, although I, I I'm going to say that there were issues that I liked more than others and i do feel to jay's point earlier that it is a little bit uneven i think the strongest three issues in this book were issues one about black lightning number two about Mil duncan and bumblebee and number five about thunder and lightning in fact if it had just been those three issues it would have been a perfect masterpiece and i feel like those issues are so much stronger because john ridley's talking about the black experience his experience the weight, the gravitas that that has, it can't be undersold. And I think that the issues three and issues four, although really good and and I liked parts of it, again, I, th- I think they were talking about a different experience. They were talking about the Asian experience as being the minority. They were talking about the Hispanic experience in America, and uh, you know the gay experience as well. And 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 I and I feel like at times maybe those would have been better served by somebody that was, you know, writing it from, from that perspective versus John, who was again, he's, he's talking about the black experience and he, and he is a, he is a black man. So that's why I feel like those issues were so powerful. But at the end of the day, the whole thing was really really good. And I think that you should read it. That's it. There you go. Okay. Chad.
3: Yeah. No, I, I won't lie. This one was tough for me for a couple of reasons. One all the words we didn't talk about that this does not take your traditional comic book format this is like reading a book a real book with words and everything just occasional pictures but no it, all all jokes aside I, I thought this was really important I thought it was very insightful I mean this is not a perspective you see on a daily basis in comic books unfortunately and you hope that that changes more often but this book was not afraid to throw punches. It was not afraid to call superheroes out for things they did that may have been well-intentioned or may have not. Like, boy, do they make Roy Harper. They, they
1: call him out as a racist. Yeah, a lot of things. A, a, a druggie, a scumbag, junkie, yeah. like going through names like they were changes of underwear.
3: No, there, there's a lot there. And like seeing the inner workings of the outsiders... It was a powerful experience. It was something that when I sat down to read it, it did make me think. It made me uh, you know explore some s- some perspectives that I don't always see. And so I, I'm really grateful it's out there. I don't know if I would want every single comic book that I read to tie in as closely to the real world as this one does. It's, you know sometimes you, you come to comic books for that escapist element. but for this being what it was, I thought, Uh, It was really solid, so it's it's hard to not go with four outsiders on this one, Uh, just because of of how much it makes you think, and and how well thought it was at the end of the day.
2: All right, well, I don't know if I'm there at four yet. Uh, I've been thinking about, I've been listening to both of your criticisms and your uh, commentary on this, and... I do agree, Andrew, that the the first two and the final issue were much more powerful than the than the Rene Montoya and Katana stories. The whole five issues reminded me a lot of reading Howard Zinn's A People's History of the United States for the first time. Which, for those who don't know, Howard Zinn was a historian who wrote a very well read book we looked at the history of the United States, but as told not from the normal history that you get when you go to school, which is the history of the conquerors, but it's the history of the Indians, and it's the history of the slaves, it's the history of indentured servants, it's a history of not the owners of the mills, but workers in the mills, and not the robber barons of the time, but the people who did all the work to make them robber barons. Um, So this is, it was very much in that similar vein. I found it to go in a little bit more expansive depth on what Chad was saying about the medium of the comic book. There are no dialogue in this book. There are no word bubbles. It is all written uh, from the perspective of one of the, or in the, case of the mal duncan and bumblebee story both their perspectives they they're talking about each other but it's almost like you as the reader are sitting in an interview and you're watching a documentary and they're telling you about their life they're telling you about how what they went through and what they were thinking about so it's each book is told from the perspective of that one person or bumblebee and and mal duncan in the second book i really enjoyed that but it does take a little bit to get into, and it's a lot of reading. It, it's very much a graphic novel with the emphasis on novel. But listening to everything that the two of you have said, the discussion we've had today, I think I have to also have to give it uh, for outsiders. It's a must-read. It should be on your, on your must-read book pile. You don't have to be super versed in the DC universe to enjoy it and to take away sort of some of the broader points that is trying to be made the meta points if you will because they're not just talking about like you know superman doesn't want to do this it's the writers of superman it's it's the publication it's it's the the industry how the industry has created these these heroes and it doesn't have to just be dc it's a comment on on comics in general
3: i will say though as someone who's read dc books from time to time when you do get those moments, when you were a reader, like I was reading Teen Titans during the New Teen Titans era, so the the stuff about Deathstroke hit pretty hard. The stuff about when Cyborg was finally made the leader, things that you you don't pick up on, or things that you you thought about it as a passing thought and then dissipated. It, it really hammers some of those things home, and will make you look at the DC universe in a different light after having read this book. So. Four out of four for all three of us, I think,
2: that can move to the top of anyone's read pile. Some other books that we suggest might be on your read pile when we go with recommendations.
1: Yes. And traditionally on this show, we would oftentimes pick a similar book, a current book, and a book out of left field. Well, We kind of stopped doing that a little while ago, and it's always good to say it again. That's right, Andrew. Now we just pick books because we think they're good books. They yeah.
2: might relate. They, they often do. They don't have to. So since I was the last to review, let me kick off uh, with my recommendation for this week. It is the first six issues, the first trade of the 2016 Jessica Jones, Brian Michael Bendis, Michael Gatos run so this is uh, this is the second series, if you're into your Jessica Jones. They had released Alias, which is sort of what the Netflix shows were based on. So this is coming after that. Marvel Universe has changed. She's getting out of jail, no longer wearing the costume. She It's very similar to the Netflix show. So if you like the Netflix show, it's her walking around New York to go along with what I felt the overarching sort of street level a lot that was the other thing that we didn't kind of mention but in the other history of the dc universe a lot of those characters we were looking at were all street level characters i I wonder if that was a a a stylistic choice they made that choice because they didn't talk about uh the green lantern they didn't talk about sort of the more cosmic it was a lot of street level So this, I kept it street level for this I like Jessica Jones I like the, what they did with her character And made her very street level as
1: well Alright Chad, why don't you go next
3: Alright, sounds good So uh, I'm going to go with a book That was related was like, no. Uh, no, I'm going to go with a book That came out In 2020, 2021 uh, It's Marvel's Snapshots so this was a book that was curated by Kurt Busiek, who wrote the original Marvel series with Alex Ross, that took that man-on-the-street perspective from Phil Sheldon and told you know how people were responding to basically the birth of the Marvel Universe. And what they did in celebration of that series in its uh, 25th anniversary was they brought in other creators to tell stories about other things that were happening during important moments in Marvel's history. And they brought out big names, people like Alan Brennan, uh, Howard Chaikin, Barbara Kessel, Evan Dorkin, and Sarah Dyer, Mark Russell, Saladin Ahmed, Mark Wade, uh, tons of great writers, tons of great artists. There's too many to name in this collection. But each issue was a one-shot of what was going on during certain points of the Marvel Universe. And my favorite and you know me, I'm a sucker for the Mark Russell issues. It has the Alex Ross Captain America cover. And uh, it takes place during the Mad Bomb saga. Yeah. And basically, it goes through, like, why someone would join up with AIM. It's very similar in that where Superman doesn't go into the the slum parts of Metropolis. Like, what happens to those places after the big superhero battles? And the superheroes disappear. Like they never come back to those streets to help rebuild the damage that was done to those communities. What happens to the people that are left behind in those communities? And there's some really powerful stories in there. And so if you're into those, how would real life deal with superheroes style stories? uh, You have a ton of the best creators in comics working on these. So Marvel snapshots is definitely something I recommend you check out.
1: All right. Well, to wrap up our recommendations this week, as, as I said on the earlier in the show, I've been really kind of devouring DC books. And one of the things I've been trying to do in 2022 is kind of change some of my mindsets, possibly, about some of these DC characters. And there, were, if you are a long fan of the uh, last comic shop, you'll remember that last year we read Saga of the Swamp Thing. And on that show, I said, boy, is Swamp Thing a character I just could give no shits about? Like I really, other than Saga the Swamp Thing, I was like, I don't really care about Swamp Thing. So honestly, now that we've been kind of embracing a lot of these DC books, I thought to myself, I owe it to myself to actually go back and read some of the original Swamp Thing. So I did, I picked up Swamp Thing, The Bronze Age Volume One, which uh, basically collects the original short story Swamp Thing from House of Secrets 92, plus Swamp Thing 1 through 13. Now these uh, primarily uh, were uh, written by Len Wein and uh, drawn by Bernie Wrightson. There's a couple issues towards the end that are done by Nestor Redondo. But for the most part, most of these issues are done with the Bernie Wrightson art. And as somebody that has really embraced Bernie Wrightson as a comic book artist that not a lot of people know about well i shouldn't say that the right people know about how awesome bernie wrightson is whether you've read his frankenstein stuff or you read his original swamp thing in these in these books it is incredible art and even more than len R- wine writing like i i was used to that stuff i had read his stuff when he was writing for marvel so i i know what len wine was and it, it's quality stuff but Really, you should read these Swamp Thing issues for that Bernie Wrightson art. Every single issue is kind of like an episode of The Twilight Zone, where it's kind of like they have a town that's made up by this guy that fills it with uh, homunculuses, like human-looking automatons that are built based off of dead people, and he's trying to create a perfect society. Another issue is about, like, an alien that crash lands on Earth and is supposed to be bringing... uh, piece but like basically because he's so grotesque looking the army tries to kill him and all this is done with like swamp thing running around kind of in the background kind of similar to like man thing where he's like he's 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 part of the story but it's actually really a story about something else but because of the bernie rights in art everything has this gothic atmosphere to it which just makes it just ooze with some sort of macabre It's hard to explain, but you you never come away from an issue thinking like, oh, this is just like any other kind of sci-fi, EC comics kind of story with a twist at the end. You come away with something wonderful. And so I would recommend it. it. It turned my head. Now I can say that I give shits about two eras of Swamp Thing. I give shits about the Bernie Wrights and stuff, and then later about the Alan Moore Swamp Thing. In the middle part, man, nah, I don't know. Maybe that'll be my thing for 2023, as I'll finally go visit that, and and by the end of my life, I'll be a Swamp Thing fan. But uh, for right now, check out the Bronze Age Swamp Things uh, Volume One. It is really, really good stuff. So you like Jeff Lemire, you got to
3: do him next. I know.
2: He he uh, with a Swamp Thing fan that will make Mikey Wood very, very
1: happy. Indeed. hope that you get into the stuff that we like by listening to the last comic shop every single week you can do that by going out to our terrific website www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com it's got all of those wonderful podcast links where you can rate review and subscribe to our show so you never miss an episode in addition you should make sure that you check us out on youtube we've got uh, all of our podcast episodes over there As well as a lot of bonus videos and and other discussions that we have on comic books that we post periodically. So we've always got something great for all of our fans. And if you're busy
3: hanging out on the interwebs, want somewhere else to go, you can find us on the socials, primarily Twitter and Instagram at Last Comic Shop, where you can continue the conversation about the books we're reviewing each week. Or maybe you want to vote in our Wednesday polls. Or perhaps you'd like some interesting daily comic book factoids. Or you just want to see what kind of stuff I'm picking out of the dollar bins. All that and more waits for you on our social media accounts. And if you don't know where those are located, you can always find links at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com where they can find what else, J.A.?
2: We've got links to our merch store. So uh, if you want a tote bag, if you want a mug, if you want a t-shirt, if you want a hoodie... It's all there. Lots of Last Comic Shop swag just for you.
3: And while we may be the Last Comic Shop podcast, we don't actually want to be the Last Comic Shop, so we encourage everybody to find a comic shop near you. If you need the assist, you can go to com. type in your zip code to find a place where you might pick up the other history of the DC Universe. Or perhaps you're down for some Swamp Thing, The Bronze Age, Volume 1. Maybe some Jessica Jones uncaged or perhaps a couple of Marvel snapshots.
1: All that and more waits for you at your local comic shop. And we will be waiting for you at the last comic shop next week. So we hope you tune in for that show until then. I was those with most Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith and Jay Scott. And remember, stay safe, stay warm. And next week. Yeah. We'll have a lot more sound effects. Don't worry, they're not going away. We're just serious this week. Sometimes, you just gotta be serious.
2: Why so
1: serious?
2: The Last Comic Shop was a 2022
1: Black Angus production.